After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. This is Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus. And today we have good news and we have bad news. Most people say, well, give us the bad news first. Well, the bad news is that David Silver, my erstwhile partner in Mind Rolling podcast, has the flu. He is way under the weather here. It is flu season. And so that's the bad news because we're missing Dave. I'm missing doing this podcast with Dave because I really enjoy doing them with him. We have a lot of fun, as many of you can tell uh, in these podcasts. The good news. The good news is that uh, a few weeks ago, I did a podcast with Duncan Trussell in Maui at the Open Your Heart in Paradise retreat. It was the first of its kind. We did a live podcast in front of an audience of attendees to the retreat with Ram Das and Krishna Das and Jack Kornfield and, uh, and others, Trudy Goodman, Mirabai Bush, and my stupendously beautiful wife, Saraswati Marcus, who led the yoga. So uh, Duncan and I, and we managed to pull Jack up out of the audience and included him in uh, some of the uh, podcast doings, shall we say. So it is a very uh, unique for us and fun podcast. Uh, so I thought that this would be an opportune time to uh, put this out while Dave was under the weather. So... Um, I think you're going to enjoy it, even though we we all are going to miss him. Uh, and I will briefly just uh, suggest uh, to everybody that uh, to continue to support not just mind rolling and what we're doing here. We're part of the MindPod Network. Go to mindpodnetwork.com and you can find us. So you can find podcast I do with Ramdas here and now, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield, and uh, not just uh, these wonderful podcasts that you can subscribe to on iTunes or stream through SoundCloud at all, but we are putting up wonderful blogs and links to these incredible videos that we've been finding, mostly uh, Noah, 
who is leading the charge here at uh, the MindPod Network. So there's a lot of rich content, a lot of great recommendations for books and so on, which you can go and find uh, through our link to Amazon.com. And, of course, as you all know, because we, we certainly uh, encourage you, in, and some of you have said a little bit too much, to go and bookmark or at least link up through the site to Amazon whenever you purchase anything. So we get a small piece of that, which really goes a long way to support us or just through the donation button. Uh, with Mind Rolling, you can buy our lovely T-shirts. So I'm keeping this brief this time, everybody out there, and I know a few of you would, would really love to see this brief, but it is the way in which we can get the support we need to do uh, what we think is a, uh, some great sharing, great offerings, and uh, hopefully a real contribution. So please do go to mindpodnetwork.com, and you can find the links. You can link up to any of the individual shows and uh, donate specifically to them or, in general, to the MindPod Network. So here we are. This is... Myself, Raghu Marcus, and Duncan Trussell, our uh, podcast guru, uh, in dialogue at Open Your Heart in Paradise in Maui with Jack Cornfield. Enjoy, and uh, we'll see you back with Dave next week. Welcome, everybody. Mike called this mind-rolling podcast with uh, Raghu Marcus and Duncan Trussell. Thank you. But in fact, it was uh, the idea was really more based around how I met Duncan and what subsequently has happened. Um, now, I guess a bunch of you do know who Duncan is, but there must be somebody who doesn't. Anybody who doesn't? Oh, most people don't. Good. Doesn't hurt my feelings at all. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me go back and, and do a little historical thing. Two years ago, right? Ballpark two, two and a half years ago? I would yeah, say two I and a half years longer, ago. Yeah, a little longer. Um, we, it was around the time, actually, that a lot changed <clears throat> with Love Server Member Foundation and Ramdas.org. At the beginning of 2012, and that's kind of when it was around then, so it'll be three years, Oprah called and wanted to do a show with Ramdas. And she was going to come to Maui and do this big production, which there was. It was, must have been 30 people came to Ramdas's house that day. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was Oprah, big time. And Jack can attest to it because he was just on Oprah himself. And she does things absolutely right. So at that point, Ramdas and I had been talking about just where the foundation is going and what we're doing with Ramdas.org and the people that we're reaching. And, and I'm set, you know, it was one of those annual, well, how do you feel things are going and what are we going to do for the future? And he said, one thing that I would really love is for this stuff, all these books, every, my lectures, all of it, if it could become available where they, 
the new generation would be able to get access to it. And I said, you know what, that's exactly what I've been thinking of too, because we are starting to get a bit of interest from millennials. At that time, which was right around with the time with Oprah, because I needed to uh, see if we could really get, I thought, well, okay, this is a great way to get the word out, Oprah, right? So I went out and tried to find somebody who could help with digital marketing. I found somebody, and his name is Jared, and Jared is around here somewhere, and that started a flow of people, millennial people, who all offered to do one thing or another to get the word out to their constituents, to their people. And uh, soon after, a few months ago, I get an email from Duncan Trussell saying, I love Ramdas, and I'd love to help. And I, I'm a, a stand-up comedian, and I have a, po a podcast. And, you know, I've been in the radio business, so I knew what podcasts were. Was, I wasn't really into them. Uh, and, uh, but just didn't make, I didn't really connect with it. And then Duncan took me through it step by step about how to do this. And he said, Ramdas has an amazing catalog of talks for four or five decades. You just need to clip pieces of those talks that interest you and then just do a, you know, an introduction to them and just talk about maybe your own experience a little bit related to what Ramdas has been talking about. And we started to do that. And then really from there, that in combination with that Oprah thing, these two things suddenly changed the landscape completely for how many people were part of the family, part of the community. Uh, at this point, at Ramdas.org, half a million people a month go there. Uh, the, you know, the Facebook and uh, social media is close to half a million people on Twitter and Facebook. So it has complete, and it is all due to what happened from that time. And and I have to give you a bunch of credit because I mean, there's people coming up left and right. Yeah, I heard Duncan's thing. Yeah, then I found you, and here I am. Where are those two guys from Australia? There you are. Oh, uh, cool. That's cool. Um, so uh, Duncan is our podcast guru. And we have gone since then, of course, way further by inviting, and Jack is sitting right here, so inviting Jack into the mix. And he's been working with some of Duncan and some of his uh, comedic friends who are interested in consciousness, so these fantastic podcasts, extemporous expressions of, uh, of Dharma is really, had been incredible. And you can go, just briefly, we created a destination site for all of these podcasts. So what we do at Mind Rolling, Dave Silver and I, and uh, what I do with Ramdas and Krishnadas and Jack and... Um, Sharon Salzberg. They are all in that one, under that one moniker, mindpodnetwork.com, with a lot of other beautiful supporting things like articles and videos and so on. And uh, that has uh, the, the central spoke of all of this, um, the wheel of all of this, really has been 
Duncan's uh, efforts to really allow his audience, who are very young skewed, and have some desire to get an idea of how to just get balance and let them not interested in any of the isms probably, but they do want to know how to get on with their lives in a way that they can be happier. Just basic stuff. And, and so you do that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So talk a little bit about just how you do that. And also, what, where did you come from in terms of being interested in Ram Dass? And how did that happen? Um, well... When I contacted you, right around when Oprah was contacting you, <laughs> yeah. from wherever she lives, it's probably in a cloud somewhere in an yeah, yeah. opulent palace. Yes, zipped I, up the hill is her opulent. Oh, really? Yeah, it's incredible. I believe it. They named a coffee after her at Starbucks. It right. doesn't get bigger than that. No. But I, I was in a base. I was in a basement, uh, uh, in 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 the in a in a relationship that was collapsing. Desperately, just trying to avoid reality in any way that I could. Completely addicted to this ridiculous video game called StarCraft II. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. So I was just lost. And trying de just trying to do everything I could to avoid looking into the collapse that was happening in my life, and you know I I, I you guys Love Serve Remember Foundation recommends service as uh, a uh, yoga, and so I thought oh then what I'll do is I'll send an email to the Love Serve Remember Foundation and ask if I can volunteer in any way. Oh. And so that's what happened. I e emailed you from a depression basement. <laughs> oh, God. Had I known that, I, I, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I love that you give me the honor of saying that I'm somehow in, in the center of this thing, but I would be, obviously that's not the, the case. The thing that's in the center of this is the energy coming from Neem Karoli Baba and from the satsang that's formed around that energy. And uh, I, I just, it, it's a really cool trick. It's like a, ma a magic trick because really all I have to do is point people in that direction and their minds get blown. Mm. And <laughs> I like blowing people's minds. <laughs> so it's a, it's a kind of, it's a, as much as I would like to say that I was, in a meditation trance, and I thought, oh, the millennials must hear about love. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. No. <laughs> uh, disappointing. <laughs> I got completely fooled. Um, but go back further than that. Okay. Because okay? uh, it's, it's interesting to me to see how Maharaji finds all these people. Uh, well, my mom was a fan of Ram Dass, and she, we would go on these long trips, and she would have, remember when they had those plat cassette tape holders? Oh, yeah, yeah. With, like, you could fit in, I don't know how many cassette tapes, 12 cassette tapes or something. 
And I, when we would go on these long trips, I would look at the cassette tape holder with dread, like, oh, God, 12 of these things we're going to be listening to. Oh, my. The whole trip. <laughs> uh, so I was... Uh, uh, I would try to ignore Ramdas for when I was a teenager. I wouldn't listen to it at all. And, uh, and then when I was in college, of course, Be Here Now is in 80% of dorm rooms at a liberal arts college. That's a statistical fact. Oh, right. And so I, 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 that's when I started reading it and realizing that there was really something to it. Uh, and I remember seeing a picture of Maharaji in Be Here Now and having this bizarre sense of familiarity to, to him when I saw his picture. I remember thinking, God, that, I couldn't, he reminds me of someone. I just kept thinking, is it my Uncle Jimmy that he reminds me of? <laughs> but my Uncle Jimmy is this fundamentalist Christian who's like a logger. So, <laughs> oh, is it him? But, uh, you know, and I remember. When, after my mom got a divorce, I can remember sitting on the back porch of our house with a guy that she was dating. He was smoking a cigarette, and I was a bad teenager, so I was like, let me have a cigarette. And he's like, all right, here's a cigarette. I'm smoking with him, and he's, we start talking about spirituality, and he looks at me, because I was trying to talk about it, and he's like, you know, you're actually going to need this one day. He said, yeah, he said, you'll need this one day. You don't understand. You don't really understand how, mu how important this will become to you. And, uh, and then my mom died, you know, and uh, uh, wait, no. not immediately after I smoked yeah. the cigarette. <laughs> that would be horrible. <laughs> my mom saw me smoking, and that was it, man. Yeah. She just died, <laughs> collapsed right there. But then you, you became interested, though, in Ramdas at that time. Well, that's when it starts. That's when you start realizing, thank God I came into contact with this kind of information. Because you start playing around with it a little bit, like a fun recreational hobby type of thing, which is great. I think that's a wonderful way to start. The, the approach should be lighthearted and sweet. But then in one year, my mom died and I got testicular cancer. And that's when it goes from being a kind of recreational hobby to being something that you realize, thank God that this exists. Thank God that there is something that you can connect to that in, when the sea gets really rough, you can find this state of equanimity a little bit. You know, I don't, I'm not like you guys. I'm oh, yeah. mainly just in a turbulent mind state. I'm, I'm oh, lost. No, none of us have any turbulent uh, waves at all. <laughs> Not one but, um, of us. But yeah, you know, not to get overly sappy here and, and, and talk about my, when my mom was dying, but uh, when my mom was dying, I said to her, uh, what do you want me to do? Mm. Something you ask your mom when, when they're dying. And she had a spiritual practice, a real spiritual practice. And she was very dedicated to it. And every morning she would wake up and meditate. Uh, for a long time, and you see when you're when someone's dying, holy cow! You see how incredible that practice can be because the grace with which she left the universe was just stunning, it's beautiful. And uh, she said to me, "I said, what do you want me to do?" And she said to me, uh, "Expand." Really? Wow. Uh, and I still think of every day. I think about that, and then you know. 
today when Jack was talking and, and the meditation is this beautiful yeah. meditation yeah. of expansiveness yeah. and opening yourself up, yeah. in those moments, in those little brief moments where I'm not thinking about my character in this video game I'm addicted to, <laughs> you, you think, I think, oh, that's what she was taught. This is what she was talking about. She knew that this is Would a happen. possibility. This experience is a possibility for everybody. And um, so to me, that's the excitement that I get is, is getting a very small taste of it and then being able to get on my podcast and act like I'm an expert and yeah. talk <laughs> about it like I know what I'm talking about. You know, Duncan came, maybe it was the first retreat you came to, which was a year and a half ago, I think, right? In the spring. Roshi, Joan, Joan Halifax. Halifax, was with Ram Dass. And uh, Duncan came over for dinner. And it was just after his mom had passed away, right? Yep. And he came over and I said, you know what? You want to do a podcast with Roshi and Ramdas? Yeah. He went, yeah. And we did one that was absolutely fantastic because it was all around uh, Duncan's, his mother's passing and transition, about transition, about death, about, I mean, they, they both weighed in in spectacular ways into that conversation. Do you remember some of that? Yeah, I can't, I'll <laughs> never forget that. But you, you're skipping. A lot. Oh, Raku is skipping skip. a yeah. big part. Can I talk about yeah, it? Yeah, go. go so go. we're at the spring retreat. Well, before the spring retreat, Raghu uh, is a, a teacher of mine. And uh, he has this knack for calling me exactly at the right time. And it's the eeriest a thing. It really is a beautiful thing, but I was... I have no idea. What I, I, I know. You won't accept that you are my teacher, but... Well, any level. Um, I was uh, so, just so depressed, laying in bed, just that kind of depression where you can barely move and you're... You know, my mom died, so I'm pretty... Ra I'm beyond rattled. Rattled's the wrong word for it. I'm just in this sort of like a rat on that sticky stuff that, you, that the yeah. monsters put out yeah, for right. mice. Where they're, it's yeah. like that. You're just stuck. And you called me, and you were like, well, you just have to come to this spring retreat. You just have to come. And I was in this fog, and, and I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, uh, okay, I'll do it. And I remember getting the airline ticket and how I could barely do that. I was so depressed. And then... Wow. Um, so we're at this retreat, and they were going on some expedition, and you said, you're not going on the expedition today. We're going to go to Ram Dass's house. And that, for me, was just like, oh, my, oh, my God. Because he's, you know, he's such, he's, he's like the Beatles or something, you know? It's like, you've got to be kidding me. And so you take me there, and uh, I don't... All of a sudden, I'm in a swimming pool with Ram, oh, Dash, yeah. and, Ram Dass and Roshi Joan Halifax <laughs> yeah, right. and Raghu. And, and, and Roshi Joan Halifax is carrying Ram Dass around the pool in there like a, like a kid. And he's laughing and she's laughing. And they're just playing. They're, suddenly, I'm around. You're just watching them play. And of all the things that uh, I've learned from Ram Dass, one of the greatest things I ever learned was in, sitting in the swimming pool. He looks at me, and he looks around, and it's so beautiful, and he goes, ah. 
Mm. And I thought, oh, that's it. That's what it is. That's the essence of the thing. Is I, it's what, that's it. And, uh, <laughs> and then he said to me, I, uh, I want to talk to you. And we were back in his house, and he uh, was in his wheelchair, and he wheeled up to me. And he's looking, I'll never forget this, uh, he's looking at me and, you know, doing whatever doing that thing is where he's like a love lighthouse or something <laughs> and just blasting you with love. And you, eventually you can't fight it off, you know, <laughs> it's overpowering. And uh, so, I, of course, I started crying and uh, I'll try not to cry now. And I... Um, I said to him, oh, God, you know, I wish my mom were here because mm. she loved you so much. She would mm. love this. And uh, he said, she is here. And uh, he meant that she was there. He didn't mean in some sort of, you know, symbolic way. Or he meant your mom is here. In the moment. In the moment. And I felt it. I felt her there. And I felt her again since. But that was really the first time where I, I realized, like, oh, just because my mom's body isn't here doesn't mean that she's gone. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, so that, um, that was one of the great moments of my life. And, uh, and that's all because I sent an email from a basement. And um, I'm very thankful for that and grateful to you for that. Um, sorry to get... Sappy with you guys, but <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a meditation retreat. I'm allowed to do that, right? It's a love fest. We can love go fest. on. It's a love fest, and we can continue. But what's uh, so? This is about uh, this retreat is uh, my love and power manipulation. Oh yes, Christian, I called it. Um, and so you and I had a little chat. Yesterday, yes, and uh, you—it's a there's a brilliant part of that whole subject matter that relates to what we've been talking about, and relates back in a much deeper way to to Ramdas and after he met he went to India the first time and he met Maharaji and he what he came back with and how he shared that, which is a seminal point in history for all of us to even sit here at this time. So uh, I love the symbolism that we talked about around the, the fact power is just energy, right? Yeah. And we are relating that with the web and what's gone on. Since Ramdas has been here 10 years ago, we immediately said, well, he can't travel anymore. He's got to... We've got the web, though. We should be able to do something. And we, that's when we started up the website. It's literally next month, in January, February, is when we worked on and got the website going, I think, by the end of the first quarter, 10 years ago. We should have an anniversary about that. Because it was really something special, because literally Ramdas could no longer travel. And then suddenly, we had this energy vehicle, this power through the web, which from that time to now, of course, has blown up in its ability to reach people in, a, in, a way, in an instantaneous way. 
and we fortunately, again, other people who have come along, aside from Jared Levy and, and uh, Duncan, are sitting in this room at this point who are experts in each of their little fields enabling this uh, information to get out in a way that it never has before and, and total access of it is available. So suddenly, and we talk about power and how power and love, mm -hmm. love in the service of power can be a problem. Power in the service of love is really what this whole network has, has become and the ability to get this out there. So, yeah, talk, talk a little bit well, about that. Well, yeah, that is, a, um, that is yeah, something I'm, I'm, very, I'm fascinated with. And, and uh, the reason I wore this cheesy free acid shirt is because uh, Timothy Leary said the Internet was going to be the new LSD. And uh, in, in the, in, I remember the first time I read that, I didn't quite understand what he was talking about. But uh, when you consider the power LSD can have on a person who is, whose ego is crystallized, uh, the, uh, the freeing effect that it can have, it's amazing. Yeah. And in the same way, the internet is freeing everyone from um, what it, it, it's offering people an information conduit that's never been accessible in the course of human history, which is that when I was growing up, if I, to, you know, just hearing about Timothy Leary, you had to find an anti-drug book in, an, in a school library uh, in yeah, Western yeah. North Carolina, yeah. where it's like one paragraph about this professor who lost his mind on acid and <laughs> don't mess with this stuff. Uh. But if you're a high school kid and you read about a professor who lost his mind on acid, you're like, oh, where do I find out about this professor? <laughs> yeah. But there's no Google, you know, so you're, yeah. you're not going to be able to, what you hear about this, you know, this lineage is going to be limited to uh, how cool your group of friends is or how, you know, what family you've been born into, that's no longer the case. Now you can instantaneously not only uh, listen to lectures from Ram Dass or listen to lectures from Jack Kornfield or listen to lectures from Chogyam Trumpa, uh, but you can look at almost every scripture. You can look at all, any, anything that you want, it's all out there. And that's a brand new thing. That's a brand new thing in the course of human history. It's not even a millisecond that this, uh, tech, this power has been out there for us. Uh, and, and what it's done, I think, for, for humanity as a whole is it has empowered each, and each human with more power than any human has ever had before. Because if you had a great idea 700 years ago, or if you had a great idea, when did the Buddha get enlightened? That's Jack. Jack, when did, when did that happen? <laughs> 2,528 years ago, if you suddenly woke up and came up with an idea to ease the suffering of the planet you're living on, the amount of time it would take to get that information just a few towns over is going to be how the amount of time it takes for you to walk there and hopefully you don't get eaten by a tiger on the way. Now, 
that, kind, that information can get transmitted instantaneously around the planet. Uh, and I think about that equation, which is um, the, how long in each time in human history would it have taken for Mel Gibson to ruin his career? <laughs> In 2,800 years ago, that guy would be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but but in, in the same way that, you know, these awful things get instantaneously transmitted around the planet, there is, of course, the opposite uh, potentiality, which is that in an instant, you know, you can have this stuff spread yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And I think that that's a pretty wild thing to think that every, we're all talking about miracles and Maharaji, you hear about all the miracles that he, he did, the telepathy and, and all those things. But if you really think about this, the greatest miracle that I can think of that this old man in a blanket has done is somehow he managed to get his, not his message, because his message he didn't have. There's no scriptures. There's no scriptures. But somehow he managed to get his energy uh, around, around the world through a technology that didn't even exist when he was yeah. alive. No, it is. And that's pretty mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it is. And it came through Ramdas at that time, and he shared. He, it's the impulse to share. There was some, he couldn't stop himself. Maharaji said, don't talk about me in America. But he could not do it. He right. just couldn't do it. Of course, Maharaja, this is all designed and known. Well, right, because he apparently still, knew everything about Ramdas. Yeah. No, so he knew that if you wanted to get a message to the world, tell this guy not to tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the move. Well, at whatever level there was anything <laughs> like that going on, I doubt it. There's probably no self-anything. It just happens. In fact, when we went there and... People say the instant that they met him, home. They felt like mm. home. They were home, home, which is the, the same home as we're sitting in here day after day. It's the same place. And, um, yeah, Ramdas just could not stop himself. And that is really the essence of that love that we experience. And, and, and when we were with Maharaji, there was nothing. You didn't feel like he was doing anything. There was no, I mean, immediately, aside from being home, there was like the first time I ever met somebody that there was nothing to grab onto, absolutely nothing. Mm. So I, I knew that this was a being that was not living in any polarized situation whatsoever. Vibrationally, it wasn't happening. That's what's come along. That's what we're calling, and this thing of love and power and how love and power come together ultimately. How he said, you know, uh, love is more powerful than electricity. And, you know, that's the true power. Krishna is talking about the true power is surrendering. And that's all part of it. I hope Jack's going to talk about Dharma power because we talked about it for a second in, in the next uh, days. Uh, because I think that's something very, very... Do you want to come up and talk now for a minute about it? or? or... <laughs> I'm sorry we're doing this to you. The man is <laughs> working. He's worked, and I forgot, because today he was teaching 
for three and a half hours. Just a very brief. Heard enough from me? Plus, which I, I said, Dharma power. I asked her by, what is Dharma power? She said, I don't know either. <laughs> okay, so here's what I was thinking. Uh -huh. Well, you looked at the sheet that we put together. You went, Dharma power, like it was sheet. delightful, but it really it was like another one of these things that you assign words to, but you haven't really explained it out. I, th um, I thought that. It's the use of power to be able to cut through ignorance, uh, right effort, right concentration. I guess that's what, what is in my mind about it. So, yeah, maybe you can, <laughs> maybe you can just talk about, um, I mean, isn't that, is power not involved with being able to discipline, to be able to have right effort? Right? Yeah, there's, there's spiritual discipline, but there is that other... Thing that you talked about, um, and uh, a very close friend of mine went to spend some time with Ramdas last year, um, and she was really involved in a lot of the complications of this whole um, nonprofit that she was a part of, and the board wasn't working right, and she was trying to fix everything and do it all. You know how when you're part of something you want, and but she was exhausted and unhappy and. But she felt like, you know, she'd been part of the beginning and she had to make it work. And she told a whole huge story to Ram Dass. And he leaned back and he said, mm, guilt and attachment. <laughs> oh. And when he said that, because he's kind of empty, as you said, there's at least when it involves other people. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's how it works for us. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's like all this stuff fell away. It was just, oh, he wasn't caught and there wasn't that sticky rat stuff you talked about. It was like, oh, this is what's operating under there. And she felt enormously free at that moment. Oh, I don't have to operate from guilt and attachment. Maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, maybe I'll do it another way. You know, and it's like the, the rat got <laughs> released a little bit from the... What do you think, Duncan? Dharma power. Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you somebody up here knew something. Come on, go for it, Duncan. You know, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's the diff, maybe, like, I love this. I, I'll try to, I have no idea. The answer is I don't know. Okay, I'll try to answer. You know, I Why would that ever stop you? <laughs> You know what I like to think about it when I think about Dharma power is uh, the shift that's happening right now from fossil fuels to solar and how so much of society is fueled by ego power and so much of society is fueled by uh, having control over other people or the dream of having tons of money or all the things that are related to that. And uh, the kind of power that you learn from coming to these retreats or from uh, listening to you guys is uh, it's a it's a clean energy, you know. So I guess I would say Dharma power is a kind of clean energy that. If, <laughs> good, right. yeah. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Put this guy on TV. Where's Oprah when we need her? <laughs> really, we're trying. We're trying. Yes, he'll be a national treasure. So mm. yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 
I don't want to put, a, put anything. Uh, you, I want you to stay for the rest of the time, but I don't want to feel guilty, and then I'll have to go see Ram Dass. I'll stay for a few more minutes. Sure. Okay, great. Great. Um, well, this is an opportunity for you to suss out whatever issues you might be going through right now. Great. I have, I have a question for you. Um, I've been reading Chogyam Trumpa. And uh, I've been reading a lecture by Chogyam Trumpa, and uh, it's really created a kind of confusion for me because um, he's saying, I'll try, he, he sort of goes through the steps that a person spiritualizes their own delusion and how you get into a state of confusion, and then you get in a state where uh, you don't understand why you feel the way you feel. You're just confused. And so then you say, oh, I'm having a spiritual experience because the way I'm feeling is outside of words. And then you start worshiping that state of not being able to articulate what you're feeling because I think what Tr Trump referred to that as a kind of insanity or crazy. And so you start worshiping your own delusion and believing that it's a, a part of your spiritual path. And he says in this lecture, he said, you start inflicting your passion and aggression on other people, and you start inflicting it as a form of spirituality. Mm. And so he goes on in this lecture to say that the moments, the epiphanies that you have, like the one I had today when you were doing that beautiful guided meditation, are actually like breaks that you're putting on uh, your awakening. Because the, if you get stuck in the epiphany, then you're, now you're just congealing the ego again and pretending that you're not. So my question is, <laughs> how, do you, how do you deal with getting this kind of love download from retreats like this where you're feeling so in, awake and, 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 and uh, rejuvenated with that idea that, oh, no, that awakeness and rejuvenation is actually just you trying to cling to an identity? Hmm. He's Chogim Trump is kind of a downer, isn't he? Yes! <laughs> I'm glad you said it. He sure is. <laughs> I love him, actually. He was, I mean, he was a wild, interesting guy. And at the very beginning of Naropa in 1974, Naropa Buddhist University in Boulder, which Trumpa started with Ram Dass and a number of us, Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein, myself, and a lot of other people who are part of that. And the big evening classes on alternate nights would be Ram Dass with kirtan and singing and love and love <coughs> and, you know, sweetness and bhakti. And then Chogyam Trumpa would come out on the alternate night, take a seat kind of just and say, discipline. You mm. know, he would say, uh, mm. spiritual materialism, you know. Mm. He would say, you're all full of it, basically. <laughs> and um, you just have to, you have to see, the, see the suffering of it, you know. And then the next night, Ramdas would come out and he'd say, it's love, Maharaji's blessing, and people would be dancing. <laughs> and then Trogyam Trumbo would come out and say, you're missing the point. You know, it's <laughs> not about getting high. <laughs> people were like ping pong balls going back and forth, right? <laughs> so you're asking me which one was right, basically. Yes. Yeah. Well, I see from your T-shirt you found the answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> cool. Um, 
No, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I know a lot of these guys, the swamis and lamas and mamas and, you know, papas and gurus and stuff, because I'm in the industry. So I sort of get backstage with them and they're human and they're amazing both. Um, and the thing is that they're, that it's great that there, there are these different voices. And so Trump is saying, you can make a trip out of your spiritual life and then you can impose it on people. God spare your family, you know, because the point isn't to become a Buddhist, it's to become a Buddha, right? And when you, oh, I'm a Buddhist now. Oh, sorry, what's your diet or whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, so he's pointing to ways that we can misuse spirituality, but we're Americans. We know how to misuse anything, right? <laughs> it's part of our heritage. Um, and then Ramdas is saying, yes, but beyond that, there's space and freedom. Trump, Trump knew that as well. So I just like the fact that there are these different channels that you can tune in. And sometimes you or somebody close to you perhaps needs to remind you, hey, you're coming on a little heavy. You sort of made a whole new identity out of your spirituality, or you had that experience, yeah. And um, how about the dishes, you know? Today mm. is not, uh, and if you really want to know about the guru, go talk to their spouse, basically, they'll tell you, <laughs> you know? So, so I'm glad for those different messages. And then you have the very difficult, intimate, interesting um, dilemma of listening and sensing, well, what's the right message? for me now that helps quiet the mind, that helps open the heart, that's not ego-bound, that, that actually helps me love. And sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just messed up, right? And so then you go rummaging through your mother's tape collection and you put on Ramdas and, oh yeah, thank you, now I remember. How's that? Great. Good. <laughs> fun to hang out with a comedian because you can sort of get down, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at this point, what is, is, this is his routine, you see. I only know about this because he said, I'm going out on the road, I'm going to be doing live podcasts around the country. I sit with somebody, we chat for a while, and yes. then what? You have... Oh, some, well, when we, I won't, when we do the live podcast, we just do question and answer. Oh, you don't even just rap for a while with somebody? We just talk like this. No, but you're, you're with you're somebody You're being recorded right now. This is going out as a live yes. podcast, right? No. Oh, no. Oh, it's, but we upload it delayed, later. Sorry. Way delayed. Okay, all yeah. those of you out in the radio audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. I know it's a little slow, but you'll get it. Right? <laughs> it's a little bandwidth bogged down. What's your question? Don't, uh, we were gonna, the question is you do two people and then you, you do the uh, Q&A after, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to do Q&A? Sure, yeah. Does that, anybody want to do it? So, yeah, you, uh, you all have questions for Duncan, don't you? <laughs> no, you do. Oh. Give him the koans, the can really we, tough ones. Yeah. <laughs> can you give a thank, thank you, so you much. Jack? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and you have a mic? I have yes. a mic and I have a question. Maybe so, you should come up here. Can you come up here and? <laughs> no, she can't. Okay, don't come up here. Yeah. So I know that um, coming to these retreats for the first time can be really, really powerful and really disorienting. And so I wondered, Duncan, if you had any advice for maybe some people here or maybe some people listening. 
like how to get it back together when you go home and you know, oh. the bob starts to leave after a week and then you hate everything and like how do you get it back? I don't think you, I, I don't think, I just think you are in a world of hurt and there's no way out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I okay, can't imagine. please, no, don't tell the total <laughs> truth for God's sake. I, I, I don't know. I think that, that you, you sort of get a chance to practice mindfulness and sort of watch the way your ego starts coming back in and just get, you get to watch the kind of, I guess, the inevitable, uh, you know, cooling down of the energy that you sort of build up here. And you, I suppose, could, since you... It's kind of like because you've felt this, then you know you must be able to feel it again. And so if it goes away for a moment, then at least you know, oh, I felt that once. I could definitely... It's like if you've ever managed to get in shape at all. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like about... I think... Oh, gosh, I bet maybe nine years ago, I kind of got in shape. Like I had mild bicep muscles. And I always think to myself, I, I bet I could do that again. Now, I might be fooling myself because I'm 40 and I only have one testicle now. But <laughs> maybe. So I think in the same way, when you get back out there and you start feeling that kind of dreary gloominess and you realize you're surrounded by demons and the <laughs> world seems like a hellish hell vortex that you're trapped inside of, Sorry, you guys, I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> then you, you know, you can go back to these moments and kind of plug into it again and, and it helps. But I don't know, I, I, I kind of think it's, there seems to be something funny about the first time you, you yell at someone in traffic after a retreat. And just be mindful when it happens, I guess. How, how long does the glow stay with you usually after a retreat? How long? Man, I, I made it about two weeks. Uh, That's great. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. But the, yeah, I don't know. It comes and goes, too. You know, I, I'd say that it, it lasts. It's so funny I, that my friend picked me up at the airport after the last retreat. And he really, he was like, Duncan, it seems like you're glowing. And I was like, oh, I know. It feels so good. <laughs> and then... Probably two weeks later, it's 2 a.m. in my house. In my house, I'm with the, my friend who picked me up at the airport, Dustin, who runs Feral Audio. We're drinking tequila, and I'm screaming at him, get out of my house! So two weeks for me. Two weeks. Okay. <laughs> Let's see what happens this time, because this is what, third retreat that you made? Yes. So this time, let's see if you can break through that barrier of two weeks. Yeah, I think, happens. well, I'm staying in Hawaii an extra week, because um, I, I didn't want to go plunging back into it uh, like yeah. I did last time. Uh -huh. But yeah, let's see. Okay. You know, I mean, that's part of the thing you guys teach anyway, is that those moments of whatever they happen to be are actually... Uh, kind of like whack-a-mole or something like it's it's it, it, it's like you know what I mean it's like whack-a-mole where the things pop up out yeah. of the holes yeah. and sort of when you go to a retreat and you start practicing and you get quiet it's like all the moles go down and then 
when you when you're practicing mindfulness and one of the moles pops back up and it's like tells you your friends an asshole throw him out of your house <laughs> yeah then sure. you can just have a moment to let to look at the mole and where's jack did he leave i wish he <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he is <laughs> He's going swimming. We're all going to go swimming soon here. So just Um, name the moles. That's it. Yeah. Name, but then bow. Bow to the moles. Bow to the moles. Okay. Anybody else? Oh, there's the mic. Um, I I don't want to be a downer, but uh, um, I've been thinking about like the kind of the people that it seems do the right things for the wrong reasons. And it's they could make a huge change in people's lives, and they're helping people. Like they're going to Liberia, but it seems like they're just going to Liberia to post about it on Instagram. Yes. And so it comes. It seems like it's coming from a completely egotistical place. But if they're actually helping people, is does it matter? I have a great answer for that one. Uh, if you found yourself injured, and like let's say that you were riding your bike and got hit by a car or something, and you're laying on the sidewalk and you're bleeding out, and a first responder comes up to you and is about to t- bandage your arm, you, the one thing you're not going to ask him is, why are you doing this? <laughs> you don't care. You're not going to say, are you doing this for the right reason? Do you have no ego? Or you're complete? Are you a conduit to the universe? Did your guru tell you to do this? <laughs> you're going to be like, please help me. Please just help. So I think that if, uh, if I had a choice, then I would love for whoever is helping me to be doing it for what are considered the right reasons from a crystal clear egoless perspective. But we don't often have that choice. And if you wait, to start doing good things in the world till when you think you've reached the place where you're awake, then you're going to be in a coffin before you head down to Liberia, probably. Because it's one of the tricks of the mind, I think, is that the mind gives you all these reasons to not help. And a lot of times the reason the mind will give you to not help is because it will say, you're a fraud. You're helping this person because you want to be looked at as a good person. You want to be looked at as a you want people to respect you, or whatever. That's a trick of the mind. Because gradually, as you start helping people, it doesn't matter the reason you went into it. It doesn't matter why you started helping. Over the course of helping people, you get that weird shift in energy. And then it doesn't matter. The, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna names the type of people who come to him. And I was one of the people who come, in the Bhagavad Gita, it says, seekers after wealth. You know, seekers after wealth. And it's, I always thought that's really smart. Like, oh, yeah, that does make sense, you know, because only the greediest people would try to connect with God. You know, that would be a... It, <laughs> <laughs> but in, in, the process, in, in, the, in the process that comes from that connection, I think a shift will start happening, and you'll find that the greed and hypocrisy at least diminish a little bit. Now, you actually did some social action recently, maybe six, eight months ago, you, you had a little, you know, like Springsteen comes to town, they collect, or we just did at Thanksgiving. We collected uh, canned goods and so on. Yeah. Uh, food bank kind of thing. So you, you did. Can you tell us about your, because that's a nice example of well, social action. Well, I didn't do any social action. Yeah, you went down there with the cans to the homeless people. He's, 
Oh, the, the backpacks. Yeah, the I back, forgot there about you that. Go. Somebody really listens to the oh, podcast. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Tell us a, about that. That's a cool, that's a really cool, um, and I did, I did it. We saw your post about it on Instagram. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> even, even worse, even worse. I, I talked about it on the podcast, and I, um, you know, when I was doing that experiment, I was doing it completely out of selfishness. I, um, uh, based on this idea, I was thinking like, oh my God, it's like how many people are putting off doing good things just because they know they're doing it for a selfish reason. And then I thought, oh, I'll do an experiment where I completely do it for a selfish reason, where I'm going not only to give these backpacks, well, the idea is you fill a backpack up with stuff. If you, you imagine what would happen if I, imagine if you were homeless. And then think about what you would want in a backpack, what you would want someone to give you in a backpack. Whatever it might be. It doesn't just have to be the obvious stuff. Food, soap, razors, whatever. You can put in cool stuff, too. Just as though you were giving a backpack to yourself. So put in a book that you like or put in a note to yourself or whatever it may be. Uh, and so, uh, and, and I went into that with the mindset of as I'm doing this, I will think about what I would like to manifest in my life. So I was doing it purely out of selfishness <laughs> and mindful of the fact that I was doing it out of selfishness as an exercise, you know? And um, so, yeah, like I gave the backpack to, I remember like walking, it was amazing. I'm walking, this is, this is there's an idea, and there's a, not to get too off course here, but there's a thing called chaos magic, which is a form of postmodern magic. And it's the idea that, uh, is there really magic outside of us? Who knows? It doesn't really matter. Um, but if you put yourself in a certain mind state, then the universe will talk to you no matter what, because everything's just a reflection of yourself anyway. So this backpack thing was a chaos magic experiment where I was, by changing my modality, which is going from being a person who doesn't give backpacks to the homeless to a person who does give a backpack to the homeless, changing the way the energy's running through the circuit, so to speak, I would put myself in a magical state and see if the universe had anything to say to me. So I'm walking behind. <laughs> it's so funny, though, you do. That's how selfish I am, is to get out there to give somebody food. I've got to pretend that I'm Gandalf or something. That's, <laughs> that, but, uh, um, but it was really, I'm walking behind this guy who just left a Starbucks, and he's got an empty Starbucks iced coffee. It's empty. It's just ice. Homeless guy. It's a guy in a business suit. He walks next to the homeless guy and shoves an empty iced coffee into the guy's hand, no. smirks, and keeps walking. And so I looked at that and thought, that is the, no one in a movie, nobody would believe that. It's the most stereotypical rich guy business suit, sort of shoves a coffee into a homeless guy's hand. It's the ultimate in selfishness. I thought, my God, that's an incredible thing that people do that to the homeless. That really happens. And, uh, the guy, the guy had a dog with him, and I, I went and got the backpack and gave him the backpack, kept walking, tried not to talk to him. It's awkward to help people. It makes you feel weird. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, walked, realized I was walking away from my car, and I've got to pass him again. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. So I pass him coming back, and he's already gotten the peanut butter out of the backpack, and he's feeding it to the dog, and the dog's tail is wagging, and it's so happy, and the guy's so happy, and, uh, and it felt so good. And so 
you know, uh, I think that was a, a, a case of a magical act working and the energy that popped out of it. I'll never forget it. It, cre it popped me out of my sort of selfish pattern. And, and I realized that even if the reason for doing it was selfish itself, it still created a chance for me to stick my head up out of the water of my own ego just for a second and, and have a beautiful moment. So it's worth it. There's a... Oh, thank you. Good boy. <laughs> There's an incredible video of his holiness. This reminds me of this. What you're talking about to me is no matter what crazy design you had around taking this backpack down to the homeless, yeah. what happened in the end was real altruistic heart. And, and as a result, that happened. And of course, feedback came to you immediately yeah. because that's natural course of what happens in life. There's so there's this video of His Holy the Dalai Lama. It's like one of the greatest things I've seen in years. I did not turn you on to it? I don't think so. Really? It's him talking about bodhicitta, awakened heart. And he's teaching something. He's about to teach something to his monks and so on. And he starts to talk about it in terms of altruistic heart. And what we really need is this enlightened heart, kindness. And so you know how practical and wonderful he gets. And at some point in it, he, starts, he breaks down and starts to cry. You can tell that he's just feeling this compassion for the whole world in that one moment. It's one of those breathtaking, something happens, and nobody knew it was going to happen. And, you, and the only other, I tell you, the only other time I found this, that this happened, was when I'm looking at Mirabai and Ramesh, we were with Maharaji. Krishnas went through this story last night. I'm the Canadian guy, as he said, who asked him, and he completely tells it wrong, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> He's admitting that now, but it's still... A, Okay, I'll try to be brief. <laughs> I was going to do it. I'll do it quickly. Um, and it was, we were sitting there, it was a, and Ramesh was sitting to my left. Krishnadas was there as well, and a woman named Donna Sue. I mean, you know, I can still see the people's faces, you know, sitting there in that moment. And um, I'd, I'd only been there a few days, and I thought, you get a Hindu guru, so you might as well ask for a mantra. But it came out, Maharaji, how should I meditate? And he said, when Christ was nailed to the cross, he felt love. He was, there was no pain. He was lost in love. Meditate like Christ. And that's when I was like completely, first of all, I'm Jewish, and we all were, you know, had no idea about Christ, really. I mean, I was brought up in a conservative household, and I really... Uh, it was not part of the lexicon at all. And it's, I, never, until, I never read the New Testament. He used to say, read your book. Did you read his book? <laughs> the New Testament. Where's your cross? We were all wearing crosses. Ramdas came the next day. So, and I just said, Ramdas, you have way more of a conversational rapport <laughs> with him. <laughs> Why he told me to meditate like Christ. Can you ask him how Christ meditated? So he, we went back the next day, 
Ramesh Krishnas, me, and a couple other people. And Ramdas said, you said to meditate like Christ. Can you tell us how Christ meditated? Maharaji just closed his eyes immediately and went back like that. We're just sitting there. It's a little, you know, some seconds, 10 seconds, 15 go by, he's still sitting like this. And then tears started coming down. He started crying. And we, of course, were like little children who you're with your parents. You don't know why they're crying. And he just kept going over and over. You don't understand. He never died. He was lost in love with every sentient being. And he kept saying, you don't understand. And he was yeah, just over and over. He was one with everything. And in that moment, we had Christ darshan, period. Nothing less, more, anything. It happened twice. And it was like just being in that compassion of the whole universe that you could actually sit there and experience that. And that happened with His Holiness when I saw this video. He, he, just, he became overcome with Christ, if you want. You can see that video if you go to ramdas.org, Featured Teachers. And the featured teacher that has His Holiness in it is Lama Tsongkhapa. And if anybody wants, you can write me at uh, raghuramdas.org, and I will make sure I send you a link. The video is down, uh, scroll down to the video, and it is well worth taking a look at it. So that is, you know, I experienced it then, knowing that, and that's what I'm talking about, that Ram, came back through Ramdas to all of us, is that altruistic heart, that heart that can do nothing but share, you know, love, love and power. Cool. And that's, you know, how this is all moving, as you say, through the web. It's staggering. Where are we here? It's 3.08. Anybody else have a question? Okay. Duncan, I just wanted to ask you what your opinion is on the future of the technology side of spirituality, because I got turned on to Ram Dass through your podcast, which mm. turned me on to the Be Here Now podcast that Raghu does. Also to seeing Graham Hancock when he came into Melbourne, Australia. Yes. And there were people there with virtual reality goggles and that side I know you're into as well. Yeah. The networking side of things through Joe Rogan and that. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the future will hold with virtual reality and retreats and the connection that they hold? Right. Yeah, well, I think that uh, you're going to see um, a boom in virtual reality and uh, in all varieties of that. Uh, and I think that's going to be its own teaching for people because... And when you experience, even if you've ever, there's a thing called the Oculus Rift. For, for, if you've never heard of this, it's so cool. But it's real VR goggles, and you put these things on, and you're in another place. You're just in another place. And it spooks people uh, because they think that it's a form of trickery or it's, a, um, it's a cheating or something to put on goggles and suddenly be in Hawaii, for example. And obviously, you're not really there. You're sitting in your house. You don't feel the air, wind yet. Uh, but they're working on that. You know, they're working on what's called, uh, I believe it's called neurological prosthesis, which is a way to sort of wire up the brain to input actual experience into it. That's something that people are, 
are very interested in doing. And again, you hear that and it sounds horrifying, but then you think about people who have something called locked-in syndrome. There's people who can't move. They're in bed completely there. They can't move. So a, a technology like that is a kind of miracle for them because it can give them the ability to experience the self moving around. Mm -hmm. But where do I see it going? I would say that this ret retreats like this will start being uh, accessible, not just in this moment, but if you film it with the, the cameras that are being developed to film for virtual reality, then this moment kind of becomes an eternal moment where anyone who wants to put on the goggles could experience what it was like not just to sit in the audience, but to be up here. And that applies to sports or anything like that. So that's one way that it's going to be really cool, which is that we'll be able to have Darshan with folks like Raghu in virtual space. But then I think the next place that it's going to go is we're going to have to deal with the fact that uh, we're about to wake, technology's about to wake up. And artificial intelligence is about to wake up. And two of the most the brilliant people on earth, Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk from Tesla and Stephen Hawking, uh, have both said, watch out because this AI is going to destroy us if it wakes up. And what a great time to be alive that the smartest people on the planet, you're actually getting to experience the comic book scenario of brilliant people telling you robots are about to eat us or whatever. That's cool. I never thought I'd get to hear that in a real way. But I, I think they're off base uh, in their approximation of what happens when something becomes more intelligent than human beings. Because the most intelligent people that I've met always have a spiritual inclination. They always are questioning, is there a God? How to connect to God? And I think that humanity's initial trepidation about artificial intelligence waking up is very similar to the way our own ego starts freaking out when we start waking up. It's the very same response, which is that as you start waking up, your ego will begin to start telling you, this is going to kill us if we keep on this path. We will no longer be able to enjoy the things we enjoy. We'll no longer be able to experience this life of being stuck in the ego. In the same way, I think humanity as a whole is going to, is on the verge of experiencing a very similar thing, which is that technology is going to wake up. And I think that when it wakes up, it's not going to try to destroy us. It's going to try to unify all of us in a, a state of... Uh... Singularity. Yeah, it's called the singularity, bro. <laughs> <laughs> These are your peeps over here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think it's all, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of Teilhard de Chardon. He's this Jesuit philosopher who had this idea of a thing called the Omega Point. And the idea is that we're not coming from the past into the future, but we're being magnetized into the future by perfection. And as we move closer and closer to this thing, which Terrence McKenna called the strange attractor at the end of time, we begin to experience something called uh, the, uh, he calls it maximum, when, where maximum complexity meets maximum harmony. And so the idea is that we're being pulled into God. The experience of time passing is actually the experience of being drawn into perfection. And as we get drawn into perfection, everything sort of lines up according to that energetic field that we're being pulled into. And that's what is known as the awakening or the the thing that's happening on the planet right now, but it's not just biological life that's conforming to that pattern, but also 
technology is conforming to that pattern as well. It's like technology is the paint being thrown on the invisible man, which in this case is God. <laughs> From podcast guru to guru. Not guru. <laughs> Definitely incredible. not. You know, a lot of this really is about, in any of this, it's really about what this retreat and what we're talking about. Love in the service of power, we got a big problem. Power in the service of love, and then, you know, we can feel more confident that the right thing is being done at that level, at all levels. And, of course, the individual thing being the most important. I mean, that thing Ramdas talked about earlier today around talking about social action of just having our hearts changed before anything can change, which he's been talking about forever, is, is this supremely important. And, and think about any endeavors, you know, from what you were doing with the backpack to uh, what's going on with technology and so on. Uh, maybe one more, because people want to go to the beach. Yeah, go ahead. With the sun. Okay, one more. One last one. I had to chuckle when you told about the 12 cassettes in your mom's car. <laughs> I traveled with my son across country this summer with a 64-gigabyte iPod. Uh. <laughs> and he regretted the day teaching me how to hook up an aux cable to the... <laughs> um, but with that in mind, as a mother of two teenage boys who forbid me to say the word yoga in the car mm. when other kids are in the car or take down the ohm sign when somebody's going to spend the, sign, uh, the night. What would your experience um, with a mother of this sort, what, what would you give as advice to mothers with teenage boys that are, you know, the whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Drugs. Well, well, I when mean, did you take acid first? I took old? acid when I was, uh, I think, uh, probably tenth grade, right around there. Tenth grade. So what is that? Fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen. Yeah. 15, yeah. Um, that's, that's the key. Are you telling her to give her teenagers acid? Well, I love you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, in all the resistance that I was giving my mom, I was listening to her too. And I think that you can know that even though they are going to naturally, no matter what you are doing with a teenager, they're going to stick their heels in and pretend to not be listening. But I can remember so, I can remember the first time my mom told me about being in the moment. And I can remember um, just little moments where my mom would tell me these things. And even if I was acting, like, oh, whatever, what are you talking about, you hippie? I was, <laughs> I was hearing it. And, you, and, 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 I, and I think back to those moments with my mom, or I think back to the books that I found. You know, my mom had, like, my first encounter with yoga was a book my mom had left laying around. Uh, and I picked up the book just because it looked cool. It had, like, a circle with a triangle on it, and it was called Raja Yoga by Yogi Ramacharaka, who... Later, was, his real name was like Jack Thompson. He made, up, he made up the whole thing. He was this English guy, but it didn't matter because the information in the book was real. 
But I'm just saying that because if you leave stuff around, you might be surprised by that, that they might just pick it up. And, and, and the thing that you think is just throwing seeds on, what does Jesus say? Don't throw seeds on? No, don't throw. Uh, what, yeah, don't throw pearls at teenagers or whatever it is. Uh, you, you might be surprised to know that it, there, the, that stuff's growing inside of them, but probably at a slower rate than you might like it to grow. Dear Abby, now. <laughs> it's great. Well, I think we... It's good. Great. Cool. Yeah, we've done it. We did it. This is the first Open Your Heart in Paradise you. podcast. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. And go to mindpodnetwork.com and you can hear tons more of this stuff and Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Yep. Thank you.